Welcome, everyone, back to Conversations with Friends. Uh, I am delighted, really delighted uh, today to be talking with um, my friend and a woman I hold in a very high place in my life, um, someone I honor greatly, uh, Miss Jean Redmayne. And I, we're talking today about prayer, and I can't necessarily uh, give you a great uh, reason why this topic came to me some time ago as something that I thought we should be talking about here in Conversations with Friends, but it did, and it's part of my life, and Jean truly is, from my perspective in my life, the only person uh, I feel who has such an amazing amount of wisdom around this topic because of who she is and, and her background, which we'll, she'll share shortly. So Jean, thank you for being here with me and sharing this space with me around prayer. And um, I'm delighted to have this conversation with you. Oh, Marlo, thank you so much. Um, it's truly an honor to have this time to share what I believe is one of the fundamental centers of all, all women. Of mm. course, men pray also, but I think a foundational truth that I was taught many, many, many years ago when I think I was about three years old, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandma was my greatest teacher and she taught me the power of women the focus of women and how when we as women are in our center and know who we are, we are then able to work in harmony with all creation, especially the men in our lives and create a world of peace and joy. Mm. And the center of that is prayer. Yeah. Jean, will you share, uh, because for me and, and why I I hold you in a high place for so many reasons, but my, we came together because of um, our work um, with the company that I used to be with Aveda and, um, and the teachings that you provided to us during our well-being retreats that I delivered. Um, and one of the reasons why I thought you were and know you to be the only person best to have this conversation with is because um, of your Native American heritage, it's who you are, but because from the moment I met you and Roy and your family, I really felt that prayer was and always has been just a way of life, just part of it. It just never was questioned. It was, uh, and in all the work that you have done and, and shared, um, it just always felt like it's such a natural um, uh, thing to do. Can you tell me um, or just share with me um, where, how do you define prayer? 
in, in when you're working with people or when you're sharing it with others? Well, I think the most important aspect of that is the reality that prayer is not something we do. It is who we are. Mm -hmm. We are a living, walking, talking, breathing prayer. Mm -hmm. It is something that from little on we were taught is part of that journey of life that we are going to take. And it is a connection we came into this lifetime with that connection we have with the creator and all creation. Mm -hmm. And even though each of us individually has our own journey in life, our own purpose, our own destiny, whatever you choose to call it, the similarity is we all have this connection with the creator and creation. And it is not one that we set down and only pick up one day a week. Mm. It is something that we live every moment. Does this mean we are perfect beings? Of course not. Mm. We are human beings and we learn and we grow and we have poor discernment at times. We make poor choices at times. But if we keep that connection strong and steady, it helps guide us and keep us on our path. Mm. So it is something we do and are every moment of every day. And as I teach, it's even something that we do during our dream time. Mm. It's ever present. And in order to accept that as a truth, we have to realize that each and every one of us is a very divine spiritual being that's walking the journey of what we call a two-legged, a human being, mm -hmm. to fulfill a purpose and to be in service and to find unconditional love and joy in the journey of life. Mm -hmm. And it's done in its simplicity, not its complexity. Right. So it should become almost effortless and expanded once you own who you are and, and how you can be in harmony with yourself, because you are the prayer. It comes from your heart, from your very soul, from your being, from your essence, from your vibration. It emanates out to all things. I, I, what we see and what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't agree with you more. When I think about prayer I think for me I grew up in a Catholic household I don't follow Catholicism anymore but you know my mom is and to this day very devout in her practice and for me a prayer growing up I didn't really understand it I mean I got it you know I was for we had to go to church every week you had to you know, say your prayers. I went to Catholic grade schools, Catholic high schools. So it was there for sure and surrounded us. Um, I know that I didn't, I certainly didn't take it seriously. Um, and I think, I think for me, I had such a different introduction into it than you did and and your family and and your upbringing 
And uh, I mean, I even, I, what just flashed in my head was, you know, when you go, we in Catholic church, you make your first communion, you have confirmation. And I remember going through um, catechism school for preparing to have your first communion. And I found the whole thing really bizarre. I also found it really annoying because I just wanted to be with my friends outside. And uh, I can see me having to go to confession with my little uh, white vinyl covered purse that my mom gave, you know, that you got with your first communion dress. And, you know, it was very, um, and I had a little script card. So you knew what to say when you went in to say your penance. And I found it all very um, strange. I mean, it was just so uh, like orderly and it, I didn't feel anything, you know, exactly. you, you know, you said these words, you, and I would say the same thing every time I went to talk right. to Father Valentino and I'm sure he picked up on it. I mean, he was a relatively bright guy, um, but uh, I, I never, I never felt connection to that prayer and not, and I didn't really, um, I didn't get prayer really by getting it. I mean, I, it never really sunk in or affected me until much later in life. Mm -hmm. And that's very typical of children, especially because they come in still with a very strong connection and knowing that, whoa, what's this? You know, <laughs> Because society or your religion, in fact, taught you that prayer was outside of you. Mm -hmm. It was something um, you did through memorized verse, yeah. memorized behavior, that then if you did it right, someone else would pray for you. Right, right. So you were pulled away from the natural reality that you were the prayer. Mm -hmm. That your prayer is your connection to creation. You're talking to the creator and all creation. And you were taught that you didn't have that ability any longer. Someone else would do it for you. And it didn't jive. And with most children, it doesn't. They look at that organized way as kind of confusing and unnatural. But in fact, let me add to that, that the one thing I feel the Catholic Church and Judaism all provided was structured ceremony. Mm -hmm. They provided a structured spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was the right one or the right. wrong one. I'm right. just saying it was one. Yeah. And we all need ceremony in our life. It is the outward expression of our inner soul, of our inner prayer, our inner heart. It is the discipline of that that pulls us to the memory or the realization that this is an important aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. Body, mind, and spirit must all three be in harmony in order for great healing, knowledge, wisdom, growing, sharing to truly take place. And that spiritual discipline 
is important, but it's kind of in the manner you're taught that it occurs, that changes from culture to culture to culture. For sure. I mean, but uh, I must say in all indigenous cultures, I find very strong similarities in not only our belief systems, but our spiritual practices. Even our spiritual words, even though they're in a different language, are of the same vibration, often the same consonants and vowels coming sure. into play. So it's, it's a wonderful dynamic that I've always found fascinating, that all people come in with the same knowledge. Right. It's how long we were able to retain it. And knowing that, you can reclaim it mm -hmm. at any time you choose. It's still there. You're, when, you've never been disconnected from it. For sure. For sure. Um, when Do you think that, um, well, I have a couple of things in my head. When you were growing up, um, did you find that you ever used prayer for, how do I want to say it? I'll, again, I'll use myself as an example. Like I could find myself in super stressful situations growing up, uh, super stressful. And I might just say, God, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Or can't you fix this or and not really understanding anything that I was saying. I just was using words out of desperation. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I know I, I thought of prayer that way as well for a long time until uh, into my adulthood. Did you find yourself in those kind of situations when you were growing up before you really, um, had a greater understanding of prayer or was it always taught no, I totally had those thoughts and feelings sometimes I still do yeah <laughs> but the key is I was blessed enough to come back into a culture and a spiritual foundation that enabled me to have a different approach or a different mindset there were times where it's, yes, we've all been in that place. God, why me? Mm -hmm. And then some people then lose their, shall I say, balance, mm -hmm. whereas others, then you breathe and pull yourself back into balance and then listen because your answer will come. It'll be in a thought. It'll be in a feeling. It'll just be in a presence that allows you to know the truth of reality is none of us walk alone. How many times have you heard that in every culture? We do not walk alone. Right. And what that truly means is each and every human being, and I believe any four-legged or winged or water dweller, I think all creation has what we call a spirit that walks with us, mm -hmm. a very highly evolved spiritual being that chose to accompany us when we reincarnated. And out of their great love for us, they are here to help us on this journey. They never interfere with our free will. They strictly 
love us and guide us and watch over us. You hear the terms um, angels, mm -hmm. uh, spirit guides. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it the spirit that walks with us. But each and every being has that individual spirit with them and them alone that will help us. And when we ask for that help, it will come. Mm -hmm. I think the key is never to anticipate or expect in what form it's going to come. Right. It will come, but it may not be the way you think you want it, but it's there. So when we know we don't walk alone, when we know that the creator and all creation, which we're connected with, they're all there to help us. We're all part of one great love. And we don't walk alone. So we can have those desperate moments where it's, God, why me? And yet the knowledge and the comfort will come. The one power, the one great, great, great wisdom I learned from my grandmas. And I believe it's the greatest wisdom ever is so simple. When I was two years old, three years old, four years old, all on for the rest of my life, maybe earlier, but I don't remember that. The one thing my grandmas would say whenever anything occurred is, and I would get upset, they would just kind of shake their head and go, Jeannie, great good will come of this. And I would just sit back and it, it like stopped me in my tracks. And it was like, oh, it was a teaching of this is divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Great good will come of this. This is part of my life's journey. I will learn from this. I will grow from this. There is something for me to gain from this. The creator knows what's coming. Mm -hmm. I just have to be grateful and thankful because great good will come of it. An example I like to give of that is I remember waking up to smoke in the house one morning and the house was on fire. I immediately dialed the fire station told them the house was on fire, you know, would they come? I got the children out. I got the dog out. I got the cats out. I, <laughs> I, I swear I grabbed the goldfish. Mm -hmm. um, and the next thing I know, I'm standing out in the front looking at my house burn. Mm. And Jim, a good friend of ours, was the fire chief. And he came over and he gave me a big hug and he was almost in tears. He said, oh, God, Jeannie, I'm so sorry. I said, Jim, it's okay. Great good will come of this. Hmm. the kids are out everybody's fine that's just stuff and he thought I was in shock mm -hmm. so he was going to have them transport me to the hospital and I said no 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 no, I'm fine but we immediately had to move into a very very nice hotel that had a game room a sauna a swimming pool a restaurant and it was a sweet so my husband and I had our own bedroom and everything was just so nice. Mm -hmm. I would spend time with the children. The maids would do all the cleaning. <laughs> How um, lovely is that? <laughs> you know, and four and a half months later, 
we moved back into our house, which had been partially reconstructed to new appliances, new furniture, new clothes, new everything. Hmm. I thought, well, yeah, great good did come of this. Right, right. <laughs> and still had insurance money. So it was yeah. like, you know, the creator knows what they're doing. We had a wonderful spring and summer. <laughs> I bet. Because what was really important was still there within my touch. My husband, my children, mm-hmm. our animals, our friends, our home. So great good will come of this. That was the most profound teaching I've ever received. And I do like to share it because with that as your truth, you don't dwell in sliding into drama, depression, anxiety, hopelessness. Instead, it's like, okay, I don't know why this is happening, but great good will come of this. It'll reveal itself in time. And we find peace and we remain in our center. And from that center, we can function. Do we go through our moments of drama and trauma and anxiety? Of course, in our humanness, Mm -hmm. of course we do. But if we hold some truths as a foundation of our being, that's the assistance we need. That's the prayer. Mm -hmm. That's what I was just going to ask that your wisdom the great good will come i not only have i heard it from you sharing it but i certainly have seen it cross my paths and so many of my own teachings and readings and how do well two things cross my mind one um how do why do you think so why do you think people are resistant to prayer and i say that with the the thought in mind that i i know we have changed our approach as a society to um maybe what prayer looks like or people stepping away from organized religion uh for any number of reasons, wanting to be more spiritual versus religious. Um, But then there's, you know, those individuals who are, who may or may not believe in God, or let's just say they don't, um, or a creator, a higher power, whatever word they want to use, um, and are resistant to following that simple practice uh, and yet probably I would imagine in their times of despair or pain or anguish that all of a sudden probably find themselves cursing and swearing to the space around them you know saying god why is this happening to me and any number of expletives that come out of their mouth why do you think and maybe you don't see it but what i feel like people are people get resistant to prayer and then when you say to them good things will come of this good will come be patient just you know maybe surrender and allow 
the path to unfold the way it's supposed to and uh and then that impatience comes in place how do you how do you help people with those two things well i think that's a perfect example of how it's very common for people who have shall i say given their power away to someone or something else and feel powerless and then things happen to them and they have no foundation no sense of that spiritual guidance that they do have um and they feel they're being abandoned so they're coming from that place of fear anger hurt and in those moments you don't try and approach someone and say wait this is all in divine order great good will come of it it's like mm -hmm. that is just that pushes them even further away sure from their center and instead you would approach them with just comforting hands mm -hmm. just a touch a pat on the shoulder holding their hand saying nothing and letting them be present with their emotion but being there physically to allow them to process through it and giving them some of your strength as things evolve they will start questioning well why did this happen i'm have i done something wrong is some you know and it's like no sometimes things happen in life when and they communicate progressively to arriving at the point and it might be months later where they can go okay so what what's really been happening that's when you can start talking about their own personal direction in life and remembering small things like you know we were all taught which doesn't break you or which doesn't break you makes you stronger mm -hmm. and there are so many truths out there in the simplicity but when someone is wounded and when someone is in anger fear panic pain anxiety depression that's not the time to say oh it's okay great good will come of this because that's very condescending at that moment sure and they're just in their pain they can't see beyond the moment so you just give your comfort you just listen just be present extend a helping hand and that's a safe place for them to be and when they're ready they'll start processing what's happened processing their feelings and you learn through experience how good will come of things in your life if you're allowed to feel and i think that's another big part of what has happened in societies is children were removed from their spiritual connections kind of i'm not saying completely but from acknowledging them mm -hmm. and we're told you know do this do this or there's punishment mm -hmm. and 
so they relate to everything in their life as, oh, this is a punishment. Not, this is painful. What am I to learn from this? What is happening in my life? You know, creator, hold me. Mm-hmm. I'm turning this over to you. I have had moments in my life that were so far beyond my pain that I remembered just saying, spirits, take it. I cannot carry this right now. Mm -hmm. I'm giving it to you, just take it. Because I, in my humanness, was not strong enough to deal with it. And that's okay. It's a very horrible feeling to be in that kind of situation, but the comfort comes from knowing I can go spirit, take it. I'm not abandoned, the spirits are there, they're gonna help me and I'll get through it. And then I can start processing it. But often we feel when, when disaster or pain hits our life that we are totally out of control. And that's when we need prayer the most. And prayer is that moment when we can exhale and go spirit, Bring to me all that I may need to walk through this journey. Allow me to fulfill my life's purpose. And just focus on that at the moment. And we just let me take one more step. Just one more step. It's all the little things. And then we start to breathe and we start to feel and we start to realize all is well. It's not good right now, but it's well. It'll, it'll continue to heal because our hearts can be broken. We can be in such deep soul pain that life itself does not feel worth living. Mm -hmm. And it's at those moments we feel shall I say, the hand of God, that touch in whatever form it comes, that just gives us the strength to take one more second, and then two seconds, and then three seconds. And we can then find our center again. But it does take time. We grieve the experience. We have to go through the grief. But prayer gets us through it because prayer is a breath of air. Prayer is realizing we're not alone. Someone's there. Prayer is just finding the strength to go one more step. Those are all prayers because it's something we are doing from the depth of our heart and soul with the help of the creator the spirits, all creation to just keep moving forward on our journey. And then when there are those moments where we can find the peace and pause and rest, those are the moments to just feel the unconditional love and the bliss of all creation. Those are the moments where the sun hits our face, the wind goes through our hair, The birds are flying above us and we can smell the roses. 
That's a prayer. To the people that I, in my head, I have a handful of people that I either currently know or have known over time and don't necessarily buy into the notion of a creator, uh, whether or not they follow a full-on science path or not. I don't necessarily know, but does someone... And I can well, and I can also go back to myself when I first moved out on my own, and I was being such a rebel, uh, thinking that I was literally God's gift creation, which was quite not the best thought at the time to have. <laughs> I mean, I I embraced that thought in a different way, with, from a different place, but you know, I was petrified being on my own and thought, well, I can do anything. It was 18, 19, and I could conquer the world. And I remember in this, in my first few years of being on my own, I would, I, I would finish after a long evening of working on my art, and I would not really necessarily knowing what I was supposed to be doing in my path or having some frustration or argument with someone. And I would, in my head, I would start to what I thought was praying because as you know, we've shared earlier, the kind of prayers that I knew growing up are the only kind of prayers, you know, you follow the Our Fathers, you said your Hail Marys, you did a rosary, you, you had very specific scripted prayers, which serve their purpose, but uh, there was really no exploration or understanding that I didn't have to follow this format, so to speak, of how to pray or what to say. And so, and, and, and at the time I didn't, I was kind of define what I was taught as in the Catholic church. Like I'm not going to believe in God, <clears throat> the one that's in the Catholic church. And, and believe me, I, I say this, but there's nothing wrong with it, but that was who I was at the time. And so I would uh, pray, I would write it down in my sketchbooks. I'd say, I'm praying to the daisies in the ceiling. I have no idea where that concept came from. I can't even tell you. I mean, daisies are my favorite flower. They always have been, but I really don't know why. That's kind of what I went to. I know I did not even know the term pushing up daisies, meaning when you get buried, mm -hmm. you're, you know, Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that, but I guess what I'm saying is that I know that I have people who I cross paths with who have um, trepidation or um, disbelief uh, or um, question whether what my spirituality is or maybe how I go about it or what I choose to believe and put my faith in and and what and who guides me does do you think that someone needs to believe in a creator um i certainly do uh, i believe in a higher power but do, does someone need to in order to become connected with prayer no no 
not at all. It's easier. Mm -hmm. But look at those as an example that um, may have disabilities or limitations. Mm -hmm. And they are just as sacred as you and I and everyone else. They are just as wise in soul. They are what, but they, they have no concept of who God is. Mm -hmm. Or if you tried to take a child who had challenges and try to explain to them that there's this God that's up in the sky, looking down at them, watching them every second, they become terrified. Mm. You know, I mean, it depends on the concept, but mm -hmm. they can become terrified at any age. Sure. Instead, when you teach, if someone does not believe in God, oh, here's an example. There's a man who, okay, on Madeline Island, which is the women's medicine island, and we are so blessed to have it here in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. there's a wonderful little church and all the island people go there because they go there as a community not a worshiper of a religion mm -hmm. it is where they gather to pray together and be together mm -hmm. so they've got the pastor at the front they've got some of the choir in the first few pews they've got their protocol their order on the left side the last two pews are usually reserved for natives and the right side of the church the very back pew the very back corner is the agnostic corner mm. because there's a man on the island who said i know i'm i'm an atheist i don't believe in any of this but he never missed a service mm. and every sunday he would go in that back corner and he would sing with everyone else and he would pray with everyone else and when he would leave the church he'd walk across to Mother Superior, and you'd see him standing there looking out at her. And you knew that was how he worshiped. That was where he prayed, hmm. was looking out upon that great water and pulling that wonderful essence of who she is into his open heart. So his religion, his God, was not something abstract. It was the walk in the woods. It was standing on the beach and feeling the wind coming across the water and smelling the water. That was his God. Hmm. So I think we often put too tight of a definition on what or who God is. Mm -hmm or creator or whoever you want to call it. We all pray to the same creator. I don't care what the name is. You know, mm -hmm. we all have the same foundation. Um, but we have to realize the one thing we were all taught to is God is within us. We are all part of God. Mm -hmm. We are sacred spiritual beings. And we are part of the source of all creation. And we're important. So if we've chosen this journey to fulfill a purpose and we have all of the help that anyone could ever require, why don't we just look around and find out what connects to our heart and soul? 
my husband and I like to sit and watch the sunset together. It touches our heart. Mm. We like to take a walk in the woods together. It renews us in a good way. But we also like to be in ceremony together, side by side. So where it is that you pray or what you call God, that's your personal special part of self. But I don't think we have to say you can't have a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice unless you're in a church or a synagogue or a temple or anything else. You could be in the woods. You could be sitting on your front porch. You could be at the lake. Wherever your heart and soul open up and connect, that's your church. That's where you connect to God. Mm-hmm. And look into the face of a newborn baby. You're looking at God. Look at this beautiful new puppy. That is a God. So when we find those things that open our heart, and open our soul and bring joy, we are making that connection to the divine source, which is God. I think when we put too much of a limitation on saying it's got to be this kind of being that lives in this kind of place and whatever, I think that disconnects us. Mm -hmm. I truly do. But being in ceremony, living each day as a gift, an intended purpose, going through life's challenges and obstacles until we can get on the other side of them and then exhale like, okay, now I can go on. That's when we know there's God. Hmm. Even in our frailty, we must own our own strength. That's the gift from God. Do you find um, that as I've moved through my life and as I've uh, gotten exposed to so many different cultures, uh, my travels and, and their practices within their culture, uh, spiritually, uh, I, I, I myself have, um, when I say my prayers, uh, both in the morning and evening or, and even throughout the day when I'm in need of help, but when I think of my evening, uh, I call it my evening gratitude, um, mm-hmm. and I have a whole host. I mean, like, I think if I counted them all up, I probably have like maybe 20 or 30 names that I go down and they are various um, uh, deities, gods, goddesses, higher power, spirit, people, uh, friends and family, angels. Like I go through this whole list because I've found over my path, uh, I either became interested in why that culture paid homage to that type of deity or god or goddess if I think of Hinduism or if I think of 
in Buddhism or um, certainly in the Native American culture and um, and Catholic, you know, where the angels come from uh, or well, they could be anywhere. I shouldn't say that they're just in Catholicism, but that's certainly where I first came to know them. Um, and I don't even necessarily know what I'm, what I want to ask, but I, um, part of me wants to say, is it okay that I have, you know, I have this whole host of people that I'm, I believe in my heart are watching over me, um, whether it all ends up being one entity or they are all separate, um, as I choose to see them and, and, you know, put my faith and heart into it. Um, do you find, uh, and I know in your own traditions, you honor um, very specific uh, gifts and, and um, you know, the sky and the moon, grandmother moon and grandfather sky. And do you, uh, how do I even want to ask this? Do you find it helpful, I guess would be one thing. And as I said earlier, like my first instinct is to say, is it wrong to have all these, you know, all these higher powers that I, I, uh, I set my intentions out to and ask for no, help? No, it's perfectly, perfectly in alignment. If we look back into all recorded history, the indigenous people made offerings to and prayed to and prayed with all creation. They had many deities or gods that they would go to for a specific thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then they would make offerings to these deities. They would have ceremonies for them. And you still see that today in all indigenous culture. Mm -hmm. Even if you look at the Catholic church, look at all the saints. Right. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Yeah, I think so, for sure. And even and the angels, too, as well. Exactly. So we recognize on a soul level that there are those things outside of ourselves, of course, that are holy, that hold a mysticism or a power or a direction that gives us the wisdom or the grounding we need for a specific thing or at a specific time in our life. And whether we know anything at all about religion or spirituality, we find ourselves responding to that in those times of need. So you could take someone who has no contact or training or teaching, but in a moment of need, what's the first thing they do? Usually fall to their knees, mm -hmm. touch the earth, because Mother Earth gives us a center, a strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a healing but we all have it in our soul because the soul always remembers it remembers all time so we have everything we need within us but we know there's strength out there to help us through those moments when we need a little push to jump the hurdle a little comfort mm -hmm. to breathe and yeah, I think to be a woman, you need those deities or those 
things outside of yourself. Women naturally create altars. Mm -hmm. It is an absolute natural thing for a woman to create an altar. She may put, have a place in her house or more than one where she has maybe a vase or that she puts some flowers in, maybe a certain stone, maybe a picture of one of her relatives or ancestors. Maybe there's a, a pot that was made by a child. Maybe there's something a little more evolved like a statue of Buddha or a, a bowl, a singing bowl or whatever it is for you, women naturally resonate to that and create altars. Mm -hmm in their life all the time it's what they do with them whether they quote tend them and go and appreciate them and enjoy them but i think there's also a feeling that many people have that those types of things are unnatural unnecessary or silly mm -hmm. and they're not if we connect to something and it brings us comfort it brings us strength it comes and allows us to take a moment to meditate or pray or be present, just to be present. That's a sacred space we've created. I know most women, there's a certain place they go in their home to meditate. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they're creating an energy that is making that a sacred space. So it's, you know, our home is our haven. It's our temple. And we need to know that we have these places of comfort everywhere in our life. And what fits and feels right is right. Now that said, I'm not saying that people should do what we call altar hopping. <laughs> it's I like, like that you gotta make a commitment to something just like getting married <laughs> we learn from all the things the creator and mother earth and creation bring to show us and teach us but we have to commit to a spiritual practice that mm -hmm. feeds our soul wherever we are at that moment and and learn its disciplines and learn how to present gratitude, how to be in a good way. And that's what gives us comfort on another level. And that's why women create altars in their home. They need that place that they have created that will bring comfort, hmm. that will be that sacred space. But they need to learn about it. Like the Navajo and Zuni children especially the Zuni children, um, when they are very, very small, like one, two, three years old, they're already given a tiny little flat board that's a child's kachina. Mm -hmm. And they are to, to feel it and look at it. It's like a, a, it's not a toy, but that is how they're first taught that they have a spiritual strength, a spiritual foundation that there are spiritual beings that they are part of. And they grow up learning to have these kachinas and that's part of their altar and they feed it every day. They may go and have a, a nice little earthen bowl or 
usually it is a, a clay or a wood bowl, and they will put some corn, ground corn, in that bowl every day hmm. to honor and thank and feed the kachina because it feeds them. Hmm. And I saw that in India, in the Hindu faith. Outside of our bungalow, there was the, the, the temple. Mm -hmm. And this little, little Hindu grandma, I don't even think she was four or three. I mean, she was so tiny mm -hmm. and so elderly. And every morning, way before dawn, she would come pulling her little wagon, her little wood wagon. And I could hear that wagon hitting the stones. And I thought, oh, she's coming. And I would go stand and watch very discreetly. Mm -hmm. And she would honor the temple. She would open it very carefully and she would take the deity or the statue out and she would undress it from any wrap that she'd put on it the day before and she would wipe it down and she would clean everything inside and she would take anything from the day before and very ceremonially put it in the wagon as she took out the new day's color or sash or the new day's flowers, or the new day's offering of rice, or cornmeal, or whatever that was for that day. And then she'd put a little water there, and she would feed that deity, and she would get it ready for the day, so that when the people would come to do puja, pray in the, mm -hmm. in the morning mm -hmm. with that deity, everything was fresh and beautiful and new. Mm. And that was her service. Every day, that was her service, was to serve, feed, and, and bathe the deity. Mm. And it was beautiful to see that level of love and discipline and the care of every element. And I remember thinking so often to myself, if we would think a little more about how am I bathing my body? How am I dressing my body? How am I feeding my body? How do I give thanks? And what do I put around me? Flowers, stones. What is it mm -hmm. that I need to do to nourish me every day? Yeah, that's what I teach. I teach people their morning and the, their daily rituals. Like, mm -hmm. this is your temple. This is, if you don't take care of this physical space that is you, that is housing your most authentic you, that is how that is housing your spirit. Uh, and this has been a gift given to you. Uh, then you're doing a disservice, not only mm -hmm. to yourself, but to to the world to the world, to everyone around you. And uh, to think, really think, as you just said, how am I, how am I taking care of myself? How am I uh, paying homage to myself, to this temple, as I call it, um, just to take care of it, to treat it as something sacred? Exactly. And when we come from the space of treating ourselves with such dignity and respect and sacredness, we are sending out a vibration that in turn brings to us those who will treat us the same way we treat ourselves. 
we bring to us those of the same vibration we are at. Mm-hmm. Or those in need of their vibration being lifted. Mm-hmm. And because we've done our work, just our presence helps them mm-hmm. lift their vibration. And as women, I think we have forgotten some of the most sacred and important ceremonies. And those are the women's ceremonies. Even in most religions, the women's ceremonies were set aside and not acknowledged openly or publicly. But that did not mean they don't happen and didn't happen. But now in these modern times, I see the pain of some of our fundamental women's ceremonies not taking place. Hmm. Perfect example. In our culture, a young girl grows up learning from her grandmas, her aunties, her mom. And she waits in great anticipation for that moment that she becomes a woman. That moment she has her first moon time that defines her transition from child to woman. In our culture, when that occurs, a special lodge is set up and she is placed there and the grandmas come or an elder will come and give her some teachings. Teach her who she is as a woman, how to conduct herself, how to help herself on that journey. And they bring to her only certain foods and certain beverages for her body to be cleansed and disinfected in every way. Mm -hmm. And at the end of her moon time, be it three days, seven days, it doesn't matter, five days, however long that time is for her individually, she is then wiped down and goes back into the community. Now she is not isolated because she's unclean. She is isolated because she's pure and holy. She's Mm -hmm. in her power. People will come, not people, but another woman Mm -hmm. will come if they're in serious need. In other words, a woman may come to the door because one of her children is sick. And she will come and say, please, please pray for my son. He fell off his horse. He's in pain. Please pray for my son. Because at that time, a woman has a pure and clean connection to the creator and all creation. She is a vehicle of prayer Hmm. in its most powerful state imaginable. So at that time she's isolated because of her sacredness where her only job is to pray her only job is to spiritually grow and evolve and everyone in the community supports that they take care of her children her chores her this her that but the point being in the old way in the old societies women knew how important they were, that their prayers had such incredible power of love and healing. Mm. 
and that they were in service to their whole community. They were in service to all creation. It was always an important moment in time every month. Every month of her life that she could bear children. Mm -hmm. She had this cycle of life and shared it with the community and was honored and respected for it. And then we broke away from all of that. Mm -hmm. Not we, but I mean. Right. And women started forgetting who they were. And they weren't recognizing the sacredness of their moon time. And you'd hear things like, oh, it's the curse or they're unclean. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my goodness, to take something that is so pure and so powerful and twist it and turn it into something negative. And then women started having severe cramps and premenstrual syndrome and all of these other things that just weren't common. Mm -hmm. Because she was in resistance to her moon time rather than welcoming her moon time. So her body was being taught, even when she was young, that this was something that was bad or unclean or unholy or, or that made her less of, and it was shameful. Mm -hmm. So she would tense up every time she even thought about it. Sure. So our bodies learned to react to the, our, our monthly moon cycle in that way. All of that can be changed. The outcome of that was I started seeing young girls running around trying to be boys and acting like boys, swearing, smoking, drinking, dressing like boys, because they didn't know who they were as a woman. Hmm. And as I've always said, it's never too late. I don't care if you're six or 60, it's never too late to claim who you are as a woman hmm. and start honoring that power and using it to help people and that's powerful praying mm. when you're sitting in that moon lodge but in today's society people say well I work I have a job I have kids I have this I have, when can I do that how can I do that it's like create your sacred space create a moon room in your home Mm -hmm. Know that when you're on your moon time, you're going to dress a certain way. You're going to do, now, if you have to leave your home and go to work, do that, but try and follow moon time laws until you can get back to your room. My husband built on our home, a room at the end of the house that had windows on three sides. And in this room was a big overstuffed couch, a big ash basket, a table and some chairs. And when I came to my moon time, I would go into that room, close the door. And my boys, seven of them, all knew that when mommy went into her room, moon time room and shut the door, we must be quiet. We must take care of each other. We must watch over things. We do not disturb her. We don't make a lot of noise. And finally, I remember they started bringing a tray and setting it outside of the door and knocking on the door every day when they got home from school with some juice and some fruit and you know maybe a little <laughs> sandwich. And, and it was just the gift of love. Mm -hmm. They were nurturing me. 
And I remember when I finally went through menopause, my boys ceremonially came home and took the door off my moon room. Hmm. Because that was very symbolic to them. Not that that was something bad, but that door was sacred now and was something to be honored. And they hung it on the wall. <laughs> wow. Well, and I think as I start to bring our conversation to a close, I think both women and men, uh, only because I know I've got uh, all folks who listen to these conversations, I think it's just as important that men find also their own way of taking care of their own of the of themselves and to not see it as a a hassle or a you know a fuss or uh, I don't want to waste too much time or I don't need to do that but you know when I teach self-massage self-body massage head to toe or I teach aromas and how to use them to help on the body or any of the practices that I teach um that each person so whether it's a you know i'm on my moon cycle or i'm in pain of some kind or i'm just tired or i'm going through a stressful time in my life that that uh, i talk about setting aside that time in the morning um, to do those practices and do them slowly mindfully without anything else going on so that your body uh, doesn't take in the stress that you're not just flying through something to just do it to do it, but that you're doing it with full intention and care uh, and love, because then that's what your body accepts. It's what your brain accepts. It's what your spirit accepts. And it's how you set your intention for the day. Um, and uh, so I, I, think even in, in that in that space to as you're setting your intention for the day to find a way to within that intention um, say that prayer whether it's a word or just thank you or um, I look forward to receiving your help today or I am uh, full of hope today, whatever it is that you want to say or feel um, um, encouraged to say that it all counts to, as prayer and that it doesn't have to just happen at one time, obviously, but to set that pace for the day and to know, as you said much earlier in our conversation, that it's a way of life. It's not just a set aside i only do it at this time it's the way we live our life it's the way we speak and the energy that we give off and it's the um the intentions that we set and it's how we treat others that prayer is this way of living um, and if there were if there was something gene that you as a nugget to say okay because as a someone that I just recently learned from 
took a class through on marketing and I really enjoyed it. And her phrase was zero, zero, like every day you're at zero, zero. So even if you didn't do it the day before, what at the time it was these little marketing things that I was working mm -hmm. on. It's something that really touched a note with me. Mm -hmm. um, when you spoke of men mm -hmm. and I, as I said, I have seven sons. So the male is so important in my life. And I feel they too, as us women, have been disconnected from who they are as warriors. And what defines them? What nurtures them? I, I remember one thing that I saw happening so prevalently when I was a young mother is the way, the difference in how people would treat little boys versus little girls. And it was always, you gotta be tough. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, they were not allowed to connect with their feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm seeing today is men without realizing what they're doing are recreating warrior circles. They're coming together to be together, to learn to express their feelings, to talk, to trust, and be safe with other men. And they're reclaiming their spirituality. They're reclaiming their male identity. So I know there is hope for all people, no matter how old or how young, to now come to their center and find that spark of spirit that will create a thousand years of world peace. Hmm. And I always feel it's important, as do you, my grandma taught me your very last conscious thought at night before you fall off to sleep is spirit. I welcome your teachings and creator. Thank you for this day. And at three in the morning, when we as women come back into consciousness, your first conscious thought should be spirit. Thank you. And creator, thank you for the gift of a new day. In doing that, we've made a full circle, a full circle. We've bound ourselves in our strength and in our center. And we've opened ourselves to the joy of the new day and the acknowledgement of our place in that sacred circle. We can move through our whole day in a gratitude way, honoring who we are. Mm -hmm. So there's such great hope right now for humanity. The prophecies told us this time would come. And when it did, we could create a thousand years of world peace. But it has to come from the heart. It has mm -hmm. to come from the soul. And it's happening. I see it. It's happening. Mm. It's fascinating, um, and then I'll bring us to a close. It's fascinating that you said 3 a.m. Uh, because literally, I have been waking up at 3 a.m. for a long time now. <laughs> like, I, not like I'm wide awake, and I'm like, man, why, why, why <laughs> do you have to pick 3:05? Like, couldn't you? No, 
You're a little bit later. You could have waited until. Yeah. I mean, I was okay getting up. We could do four thirty or five, <laughs> but you had to pick three. And now, yeah. I... <laughs> and three is the spirit hour. At well, three in the morning, if you go outside and stand facing east mm -hmm. in this hemisphere, mm -hmm. you will see the morning star, the teacher of women, mm -hmm. a teacher of women. Mm -hmm. At three in the morning, that is a powerful time for women. You might have to do that because there's plenty of mornings where I'm like, gosh, bless America, I cannot go back to sleep. <laughs> and then I said, and I do, I also do, uh, I eventually get back to sleep because I'm pretty okay with it. But I do, as you said, I, I do wake up and those first words are, thank you for giving me another day to be able to fulfill your purpose uh, that you have designed for me. And just tell me what you need me to do because I'm mm -hmm. here, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think too, um, as you said earlier as well, and, and I think I've said as also is that there is no, um, there's no right or wrong way to pray. Pray is just having that conversation, putting it out there to however you want to, or whoever you want to acknowledge, but knowing that you're saying it, you're speaking it from your heart and not mm -hmm. from love and from not from fear. And even at those moments of fear and pain, knowing that you're asking, you can ask for help. It is okay. And to just allow it to happen and don't be angry when it, as you said, it doesn't show up the way you want it to show up. It might show up in a different way, which might make you grit your teeth further, <laughs> but to know that, uh, we don't uh it's not always that we're praying for what we need we pray for just to help us let go and so that we can have that guidance and just tell you know just show me the way and i will make the decision you know i'll follow it and i think we i know for my own self uh that i'm a bit of a control nutcase um and so controlling the outcomes of things is one of the practices I am have been working to let go of for a very long time to just let go of it and go it's okay it will be all right it and there's actually a quote in front of me on my wall of quotes that says everything will be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end yes, exactly. it's an and uh, I, I heard it in a movie called the um, best marigold hotel um, and it's an Indian movie and and that's kind of one of the things I, I just keep in my head. I'm like, it will be okay in the end. And if it's not the end, it will be, you know, if it's, if it's not okay, we're not at the end yet. And I have to be okay with that. I have to just let go of and realize, you know, that when you surrender something, you're not giving up on it, but that you're allowing, you're giving up your resistance to what could happen. Exactly. And that's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson for me to learn and has been, but I've gotten so much better at it. But it is a hard lesson for people to look to do because they will automatically think, well, I'm going to give up. But that's not what it's about. It is just everything will be okay and give it some time and just have faith and, and it will be okay. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, it may suck royally and... Um, it may feel like you're walking on nails every day and 
those nails will get softer and they will fall away and you'll get to the other side of it and you won't have to walk on them anymore. And, you know, you'll, it's understanding what that lesson was in that moment or that experience or that period of time and, and softening into it, which is really hard, I think, um, for people, uh, I'll certainly say for myself and, um, I, I, I want people to know, I guess, and why I chose this topic for this to have a conversation around it was just that it to change perceptions for people to even one micro step, my, one micro percent change of perception around what prayer means and how it can help you in your life. Even one little micro step during the day, you don't have to embrace it all at once if that's not what you're comfortable with, but to just soften into it and, and be open to the possibilities that it can bring you because it is not a set verse. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. It, certainly there's many beautiful prayers out there in that. Certainly. But it can just be your shift in softening into the space that you live in every day and asking for help. And, um, and I want to thank you, Jean, for helping me with this conversation um, and sharing your wisdom and your insight and experience with this and, um, and with uh, anyone who listens to this, that uh, there are, it comes in so many forms. And I'm very grateful for your help today with me and sharing this conversation. Oh, thank you, Marlo. And I look forward to seeing you I hope sometime soon. Well, <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful? Yeah. Um, and I look forward to, um, to all those who are listening. Um, Jean, I know you have a website too, as well, where your work is. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly do. And it is that, um, can you just share what it is? Sure. Uh, it's, you can go to jeanredman.com. J-E-A-N-R-E. D-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. Cool. And I'll make sure that when I put this out there for everyone, that we'll have that resource there uh, for people to tap into further your wisdom that you have. And, and we'll probably have another conversation again at some point in the future. Um, but thank you everyone for sharing in our conversation and I look forward to the next chat that we have. Blessings, blessings, blessings. blessings.